communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley, filling in for Tom Brown. And today we are talking about the church's role in foster and adoption care. And I've invited a good friend of mine, Chad Roach, to be here with me. Thanks for being here, Chad. You bet. Thanks for having me. So uh, I, I want to give you a little bit of a background on who I am. I've been here on the show when Pastor Mark Buckley has hosted it. And uh, now Tom Brown has given me the honor to take an hour myself and share what's on my heart. And this has been deeply on my heart, this idea of foster and adoptive care. And I've brought Chad with me because he has somewhere near nine or ten children. I lost count whenever I go over there. There's just so many of them. And uh, he's got three biological children, and the rest have all uh, come through his, to his house through foster, and they've adopted a few of them, so we're going to talk to him about that. And I also want to talk about what I've been preaching at in my church, Life Point Church, which is in Santan Valley, uh, which is part of Arizona, uh, is this idea of who is without excuse to not be part of a foster or adoption family care or circle. And it was about two years ago that I was sitting in a small group of friends, a covenant group, and this idea came up of what it means to be an orphan no more, talking about uh, uh, Christ, uh, Christ's words as he says, you cannot serve two masters, you either serve God or mammon. Mammon often getting interpreted in our culture as money, and so it's you cannot serve God or money. But if you look at the Aramaic understanding of mammon, you'll see that it actually meant life. It meant food, it meant shelter, it meant clothing, it meant the security that life has to give you. Will you serve God or life? And as it continues to go on, it gives examples of this, saying not even Solomon was clothed as beautifully as the lilies of the field. And uh, why do we worry for something as simple? And you got to love Jesus's cavalier way of looking at our basic needs like food and shelter and say, why do you worry about these things? And it really comes down to this idea of do we trust? Do we trust him? And so as we talk about uh, this afternoon, the idea of fostering and adopting, we, we, we live, I live, and Chad lives in Arizona, a state that has roughly 20,000 kids. Am I correct, Chad? Yeah, it's about, I think it's like 18,000, but you're close. Close to 18,000, 20,000 kids in the foster uh, care system. Uh, give, give me a bit of a background. When did you start? Why did you and your wife, Jill, uh, start the process of fostering kids? Um, well, it was completely out of obedience and a little bit of uh, lunacy, I think, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, we started to, to look into fostering and adopting. We first got married 16 years ago. And then uh, as it would happen, my wife got pregnant. We had our three children, um, and we kind of ignored the idea for a while. And then God, you know, continued to whisper, no, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. And so we did. Went through the PS MAP course, which you, you're familiar with, and anybody who goes through it in the state would go uh, – to be a foster parent or adopted parent would go through that. Um, but it was it was mainly out of obedience. It just just – we felt that that was what God was telling us to do, that this was to be our family's ministry. It's not just – me, it's not just my wife. It's our three biological kids. We, you know, went through it with them. This is part of their ministry. You know, even though they're so young. And so, how old were your kids when you fostered um, your first child? It's been four years. So, Abby was six. Abby was your oldest. Yeah, and she, she was, was six. six. Yeah. So and you addressed it with her. 
We did, and we talked to her about what it would mean um, to have a new brother and sister, or we didn't know who it would be, yeah. um, that we were just going to put our names out there and, and put ourselves out there to say, uh, this is what we're willing to do. Whatever child God has for us is the kid that we will uh, that we'll take on. Amen. When we come back, we're going to talk more on this subject and uh, hear Chad's journey and the journey God has brought me on in this as well. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Cornelia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley filling in for Tom Brown. And today we're talking about the foster uh, care system here in Arizona and the idea of fostering to adopt. It is something uh, two years ago that the Lord put heavily on my heart. My wife and I have been praying about it. We have two biological children that are now six and four. My guest here with me is Chad Roach, who has adopted... Uh, We've adopted two... And we're adopting four more this year. That's right. And you currently have a total of nine kids. Seven. Seven kids in your home. Yeah. Well, the, we, we have nine. The two boys are, are slated to come to us anytime. That's right. We're just waiting. And three of them are his biological. And so uh, if you're in Arizona, there's a movement called az127.org. And I was happy to be able to attend one of their orientations last month. And what it's based off of is James 127, which says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And this is, it was cool to find AZ-127. I actually found that after my wife and I had begun the PS map classes for fostering here in the state, and we had decided we wanted to adopt through the foster system. But what I really came down to was this idea is no matter where you are theologically, no matter what background you come from or church you grew up in, I don't care if you're Catholic or Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Baptist, non-denominational. The verse I just read is pretty clear. There's not a lot of argument. There's not a lot of theological debate about what that means about taking care of the widows and the orphans. And yet our church here in this state, we make up, this Arizona makes up 20% of the nation's foster kids, 20%. And when you look at the amount of churches in the state and the amount of people who are Christian families and, and say they love the Lord, is there's this idea of how, how Chad, are there 18,000 kids in foster care? And as I go through that and as I wrestled through that myself, I said, Lord, I, I do a lot of things that I think are good. I do a lot of things that I think are honoring you and righteous, and yet I am freaked out. <laughs> to go and take in these kids. And then you take that first week of PS map and they let you know, like, there's a little bit of a savior complex. They're trying to scare, scare you a little bit, yeah. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And and they're letting you know, no, don't have that. Like, this kid's been uprooted from their home. They've endured stuff nobody should have to go through. And they're just plopped right in your home and said, here, go ahead, make this your new home. Give us your experience with the first kid that uh, the Lord brought to you and oh, Joe. Wow. Um, well, going all the way back, uh, it's been about four years, like I said. The first kid that was ever brought to us was Raina. Um, and this is, this is the, 
the fun and excitement of being a foster parent is um, no matter what the agencies tell you uh, is going on with this child, you'll see the, the written forms and the, you know, the history of the child and um, it's usually wrong. <laughs> um, uh, Raina came to us and, and uh, what we were told was that she had a feeding problem that she was with her grandmother, I believe, or an aunt, and she wasn't able to eat. She just wouldn't eat, eat. So we get her, uh, and in a very short amount of time, my wife, uh, in her wisdom, said, there's more going on here than, than what we've been told. Mm-hmm. And so she worked very hard with Department of Developmental Disabilities and, and getting Raina more and more services. So my wife, in fact, became Raina's case manager. So it's not just her foster parent, but it's a case manager. It's, it's, it's a mom. Right. <laughs> and right. advocated for her. And uh, we found out Raina actually had cerebral palsy and she had a lot of other things that were wrong with her. Oh, wow. So uh, it was much more than just not being able to feed her. Um, and then we had her for, I want to say like eight or nine months. Um, and then uh, uh, she went back to an adoptive family in Tucson. Okay. So what was that like for you? Give me the male's perspective on what it was like to receive a child that wasn't just somebody else's kid, but was a child coming in with uh, medical disabilities or mm-hmm. even mental disabilities? I think for me, I had worked in a medical field. I was an EMT for a while when I was in college. And so that part wasn't the, the, the terrifying, anxious part to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the, uh, you know, when, when I had my own three children, or when my wife did, I didn't have them, but when my wife had our, ch- our, right, <laughs> our three children, uh, as any father will, can attend, uh, attest to, is that um, there's that level of anxiety. Like, man, am I going to love this kid? You know, is this kid going to love me? Am I going to, you know, is all this anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with fostering. You know, it, it's, the, it's the same. It's bringing in this, this child and going, what do I have to offer this kid? You right. know, and really coming to the realization that the number one thing that we have to offer is the same thing that God gives to us is love. That's it's right. just it's just being there for that child and, and whether it's advocating for them, whether it's getting them um, clothes or whatever it is, you know, we've, for however long you have them, we had a, a one girl, London, we had her for three weeks, four weeks. Mm-hmm. She wasn't with us very long at all. But in that, that short amount of time, you're able to do some things. So I, it was just, I think it's the same anxieties as having a child. Yeah. Um, the difference is, uh, and this is the a lot of uh, people object to, um, or this is their main out for getting into foster care is, well, I, I just couldn't handle them being taken away. Yeah, and uh, uh, it it's horrible. It, it it's painful. It hurts. You cry. You you you. There's that there's that 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 loss period you go through. Um, but God is God, and God is good, and you get through it. Mm-hmm. And then He brings you another child. And you've just been able during that time to be able to plant seeds of love, Absolutely. to be able to share what Christ has given you and your family. That was one of my things that I looked at, which was, Lord, how can I, I... I don't do well with loss. We lost a family pet when I was 10, and I refused to love animals ever since, and so I, I don't do well. And as I talked about this with my wife, it was, how do we bring these kids in? I actually let them into my heart. Maybe I don't let them into my heart. That's how mm-hmm. I do it. I just I, I superficially love them, and that right. was sort of one way I mentally got through it. And now we've got two girls that... Uh, we're looking forward to be bringing into our family very soon through the foster care system, and we're looking to adopt them. And I'm telling you, from day one, it was like they all of a sudden had me. And I tried to protect my heart, and I tried to not be <laughs> excited at the meetings. I tried to not be hurt when we'd go and meet them and take off the whole day, and they didn't really want anything to do with me. But it's true. You really do extend yourself. But there's a good friend of mine, pastor here in the Valley, David Stockton, who said, you never truly love anything 
unless you allow it to hurt you. Mm. And that has Amen. transformed me as a pastor with my congregation. It's transformed me uh, in, in my relationship with my children. It's transformed me in this decision to foster and adopt children is if I'm going to love something, I have to choose to be okay about being hurt by it. And mm. if, yeah. isn't that, after all, what Christianity is about? Isn't that what Christ did for yeah. us? He loved us so much, he chose that it was okay to be hurt by us. And right. so I, I, I guess I'm on this idea that no, 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 nobody who calls themselves a follower of Christ should be without excuse to being a part of this somehow. And it was really neat about, uh, you were there, uh, Chad is a member at my church, and about three weeks ago, I put it out to the congregation right at the end of a mm-hmm. sermon. I think I just sort of blindsided some people with it, and I said, no one is without excuse to be uh, to not be in the process of somehow fostering or adopting or helping a family that is fostering right. or adopting. And um, since then, we've had about seven couples in our church. It was sort of the spur, the kick in the seat for them to <laughs> start the classes and, and finish discussions that they'd had. And I'm so excited by that. That's seven couples confirmed that we know are starting classes and saying we're getting on board. But what else is there, Chad? As you've gone through this for the last four years, not everybody in the church is going to be suited to foster or take in a child. What else can a person do in the church to to help and be a part of this process to fulfill the James 127 call? Well, it was nice for us when we um, first started that there were just people there um, – it may to the people who are do, who we we asked to pray for us. That may seem like something. Oh, you're just asking me to pray for you. No, that's big. Pray, mm-hmm. pray for these families. Like like uh, uh, fervently and 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 diligently pray for these families. That's very important. Um, but it's being there for them. Whether it's you know going to the the parent, um, typically the mom, and saying, "Hey, uh, I'll make dinner for you for the next couple of days." Will that help out? You know, will that be a stress? Absolutely. It's, it takes away that, that the stress of, okay, what's going to be for dinner type thing. Um, but then there's, there's, we talked to, uh, I talked to Sean at our church and, and doing respite, you know, mm-hmm. that him and his wife are looking at doing respite. And that's, that's fantastic to build a network of, of respite providers. And for those who don't know what that is, it's basically for foster families to have licensed and certified people that we can kind of have babysit our foster kids uh, to help us get date nights and, you know, do things like that. That's, that is huge, um, just to be a respite family, and that's a revolving door of kids usually. But um, and there's be. financial. I mean, Absolutely. we know that since we've announced in our church, we've had couples come forward and help out with clothes, mm-hmm. help out with uh, shoes, uh, uh, help out and say if there's camps or programs this summer you're sending the kids to, we'll pay for it. Uh, those are the kind of things. These are the teams. This is what uh, I've come to love so much about AZ-127 is this is what they help the people in the church realize is that when we're part of a community, it doesn't mean I see you on Sunday, I pat you on the shoulder, <laughs> I tell you I pray for you, and then I'll wait and see you next Sunday again. Right. It means this week I'm going to get involved. How can I get involved that would be a blessing to you and your family and the kids that you have? And so... Uh, well, I, I need to mention, uh, Mike has reminded me of the CASA programs as well. That's uh, right. <laughs> and so is my wife. So the, uh, yeah, the CASA programs, which is a court-appointed special advocate, uh, it's a great program for these kids as they go through the court system to just, you get training and you get, you learn how to be a mentor to these kids because a lot of times they have nothing. They have nobody. Um, there's no guarantee that the foster home they're in is a supportive family mm-hmm. foster home. It's, that's not the case usually, or sometimes. Um, but to be a CASA, you go in, you can go into court with them. You build a relationship with them. You can help advocate for them. Um, it's a really neat program that each county court, uh, manages. What kind of training is involved to become a CASA? Um, there's a few weeks of training that, uh, they have to go through at the Arizona office of the Supreme court here in Phoenix. Okay. Um, 
And that's that's about the extent that I know of it. Um, I only saw it when I worked in the court in in, in Pinal County. That seeing casas and how they um, build relationships with the kids and, and become that that friend that, right. that these kids can trust. And, and and a lot of the relationships will end up going beyond if a kid gets adopted or or stays in long term foster care. The relationship continues as a big brother big sister type relationship. That's right. And so these wraparound teams are crucial. These wraparound teams are crucial to the foster mom and dad or the adoptive mom and dad, and it's crucial to the kids that are being placed as well because uh, it takes a village to raise our own kids <laughs> and then especially kids that God has brought into our lives through this system. So as I'm going through this, as the Lord is putting on my heart this idea of fostering, this idea of why am I uh, scared of this, it brought up this idea uh, of Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a little bit talking about the return of Christ, but more importantly, there's this, there's this talk about the uh, separating of sheep and goats in Matthew 25. And now we don't do a lot of sh- uh, shepherding here in Arizona, at least I don't. Uh, and so I don't I don't understand. I didn't understand the idea of sheep and goats and separating them until you do some research and you realize that what Matthew 25 is talking about is not separating the believers from the unbelievers, but separating those who call themselves Christians from those who bear the fruit of Christ. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Koinonia Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley filling in for Tom Brown today, and we'll be right back in just a few minutes. Listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley filling in for Tom Brown, and today we're talking about uh, the idea of foster and adoption and the church. I have with me as a guest, as a guest Chad Roach. Uh, I am the lead pastor of a church in Santan Valley called LifePoint, and if you're just now tuning in, so far we've talked about why is it that as the church we are not more concerned about our call to the orphans, the widows, the poor, the helpless. And uh, right before the break, we I had started to talk about Matthew 25, mm-hmm. uh, um, a separating of the sheep and goats. And I just want to read for you, if you don't mind. I think I can read scripture on this station. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of that. Matthew 25, uh, 33, it says, And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous answer him, and they say, Lord, when did we do all this to you? And he says, truly, I tell you, whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And we see all throughout Scripture, and you've got a wonderful one from Exodus I'm going to have you read here in a moment, (laughs) that our call as Christians is not about following this set of rules. And, and, and in our church services, I preach this constantly throughout my sermons, is this idea that the Bible is not a massive rule book that you need to follow <laughs> it so you enter higher levels of heaven or you get more jewels on your crown. And these are, I kind of laugh at these, but I grew up with some of these ideas and God love 
God loves the church, we know that. But there, there are certainly some things that man has taken liberties with that I feel distort the message of Christ. Because I grew up in Sunday school, and they flannel-graphed everything, and every major, you know, Jonah and the well, and Noah and the ark, and Adam and Eve, is there wasn't a lot of flannel-graphs about how I, as an 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old kid, could get involved with helping a poor family. How could I get involved in a local charity that me as a child could learn to be compassionate about? And so... I, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now, I grew up in through the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. And so there's this idea that church became a place where you go and you have to be good there. And if you weren't good throughout the week, they're going to know. And God's going to get you. So you need to ask for forgiveness and <laughs> repentance. And everybody who doesn't believe in church, well, they're obviously evil, terrible people. And uh, and so I I feel this pressure on church to live up to this sort of country club-esque idea that we've got it, we're elect, we figured it out, and we've sort of forgotten about this, that in that final day, Jesus' words written by Matthew were, what I'm going to be interested in is not the how many days you kept the Ten Commandments. Right. I'm going to be interested in who did you help? Who did you love? Who were you uncomfortable for? Who did you invite into your home? Who did you let be part of your family? Um, for my name's sake, mm. and the Lord has gotten a hold of me mightily with that. As I look at uh, our our number of eighteen thousand plus kids in the foster system here in Arizona, and I know that there's a minimum uh, of one point five million professing Christians of different denominations, right. but Christians they say they love the Lord, they love Jesus. How have we not taken care of eighteen thousand? foster kids. It's a small number in comparison to the professing Christians. And so this is the sermon series. I'll be starting May 1st at our church um, on this subject on the, on kids. It'll be called a private generation, drowning in our own secrets and talking about what, what, what do we do to bring this awareness, not in a guilt or shaming or condemning way, but to bring awareness uh, to, to the people of, uh, to, to God's church, to his bride. And so um, Chad, we had talked earlier that one of the main things that people are freaked out about with fostering is <laughs> how will it affect my kids? Yeah. Um, I'd like you to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, which is pretty scary, is I don't know if I could handle bringing in special needs or I could handle losing a foster kid. Right. How, well, how would that happen? Well, what if one passed away on me? What if something happened to one of them? Would you address those? The first being, how did you address the fears of bringing in kids and having it affect your kids negatively. <laughs> well, before that, I was just thinking what you're talking. I just wanted to add to um, of the 18,000 ish kids uh, in Arizona and across the country too. Um, I would say one common theme is that, and, and the Bible talks about the fatherless. Mm. That is, that is an actual, uh, a, a very good explanation of these children. Most of them are fatherless without human, you know, earthly dads. Um, and that's important. Uh, that a lot of women feel very called to doing this. They have that naturally, you know, motherly instinct to do this. But for men, it's a little more difficult for us to be parents in general. Um, but um, uh, but but a lot of these kids don't have dads. So that's so just being there to be a dad and play sports and to read books and to play tea party, which you will have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so anyway, so um, taking in uh, kids, the with my kids. Um, my oldest daughter, Abigail, is amazingly mature. 
Um, I'd say she's 10 going on 17, um, both with maturity and her, mm-hmm. um, we'll call it spark. Um, <laughs> that she, uh, uh, she's amazingly mature and she's really intelligent and she grasped this very easily. And I think, um, my next, my next oldest son, JP, uh, is, is the same thing. I think it has enriched their lives. I think it shows them, um, you know, the Bible talks about, uh, being lukewarm Christians. And I think it tells, this shows our kids, that this this is not lukewarm Christianity. This is real Christianity to be on fire for God. And this is to when you're on fire for God, it's going to change your life. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to take that step to to let your life be changed. And and they see that. And they see mom and dad. Um, you know, we first got uh, who is our adopted son now, Joey. Uh, our living room in our house became his bedroom. Right. <laughs> he had massive special needs. He has a trach. He has a feeding tube, seizure disorder. Um, the first week we had him, I did CPR on him at least three times. My goodness. So uh, it, when we brought him in, you know, here our kids see, you know, my wife and I basically high-fiving in the middle of the night because one of <laughs> us is staying awake with him. We have to. Um, pulled countless all-nighters um, and got through it. And, and here we are on the other side of it. We've adopted him. He's, he's now our son, um, which, as you know, is part of my testimony is a challenge yep. uh, to even say that uh, is a challenge. Um, and it's something God has worked on in my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, obviously transitioning to the more difficult thing, and I'll try to maintain my composure. I thought it would be easy. <laughs> um, to losing a child. Um, and my wife and I went through this uh, in February, as you know. Um, our daughter, Isabella, uh, passed away suddenly, um, and she had Down syndrome, and we, we adopted her. Um, we also have her uh, biological, I guess, half-brother. Um, we've had him since the day he was born. And uh, is, it, is it tough? You bet. I'm getting here, you know, really fighting back, <laughs> getting choked yes, up right now. Um, it, like you said, and, and you and I have, have talked about this, uh, obviously, uh, privately, but when you see these kids and you're like, oh, no, I, can I be a dad to them? Can I love them? Can I do this? And that's a, that, that struggle is real. And, um, but uh, God softens your heart in an amazing way. Yes, he does. Once you say, I will do it, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Just, I need your help with this. Yeah. And he says, okay, I got you. And he'll soften your heart and you fall in love with him instantly. Um, and then they just become part of your family. It's just, you know. Uh, That's one of the neat things I've seen is we're, uh, and thank you for sharing that. That's obviously we're a short time removed from that. And we're still, the community and the church is walking through you and the family with the loss of Isabella. And I've noticed over the last six weeks that we've been visiting the, the girls that God has given us uh, soon to foster and then adopt here is it feels weird when we take them back to their foster parents and drop them off. It feels empty. And I'm, I'm, we're, we're talking a couple handfuls worth of times we spent with them. But w- whatever that is, that moment I remember watching my son be born and I watched him take his first breath and cry and I lost it. And uh, you're instantly in love is is the same thing that I feel our Father does for us when we step out in faith on this. Mm. And that's one of the things I want to make sure that we're careful not to forget is when when God calls us to do this, he's calling us not under our own strength. Right. I, I'm a weak man. <laughs> I wish I was stronger. I wish I was braver. I wish I was physically more capable. And yet it's not under my own strength that I do this, but it's in my weakness that Scripture tells me he'll be made strong. And that's what I get to see. In our short time, that's what I get to see. That's what I've gotten to see in you is over the last few years, our friendships developed is I've gotten to see somebody who 
uh, I was catching you right at the middle of your decision to do this, and I've watched you grow tremendously oh, yeah. as all these kids have come in and out of your life, and you've had to uh, you've had to extend love and be hurt, extend love and be hurt, and yet. <laughs> I see when I go to your house or when we see you and your incredibly large family at the church, I just see joy. There's joy pouring out of you. There's joy pouring out of all the kids. And uh, how could I not want that for the rest of the congregation? How could I not want that for the rest of the church community? Yeah. And so often we look in the scripture as an orphan, meaning some a child whose parents had passed away. And yet it's so much more than that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's so much more than a kid whose parents have passed away, especially in our culture today where we have the ability to take kids from homes that are very dangerous, that are very harmful to them, and we have the ability to place them in new homes, that that kid doesn't have to stay in that situation. But there is a dramatic need for uh, moms and dads to step up. And I don't want, I don't want to leave everybody out there listening that this is a – that it's <clears throat> it's always going to be something negative and it's always challenging because it's there are very, very rewarding times when um, – we had a little girl, Rachel, that we got her uh, the, within two or three days of her being born. Um, she was born addicted to meth. Um, her mom gave birth while she was high on the side of the road. Wow. Um, I One of the paramedics who was there was a friend of mine, and her and I talked. And um, Fast forward eight or nine months later, and we've had Rachel this whole time, and, and you wouldn't know she wasn't ours, blonde hair, blue-eyed, you know, beautiful little girl. Um, Many, many sleepless nights. Meth-addicted <laughs> babies don't like to sleep <laughs> ever. <That's right. laughs> but uh, the, the beautiful part of the story and the amazing part of the story is that um, her mom got clean, got everything in her life kind of fell together. My wife was able to minister her, the mom, um, and she moved back with her family in a different state. She's now got her life back together. She got Rachel back. Um, oh, wow. and we stay, we're staying in contact through the, the cool part of Facebook, um, that we still get to see Rachel grow up and, and it's, um, was it heartbreaking? Absolutely. I was in my office and, and the last day they were there and, uh, in the parking lot and I was crying like a little baby praying over them. You right. know, it was, you know, just praying that, that God, uh, that they're able to see God in their lives too. Um, but at the same time it was tears of joy That's right. that, that, you know, her mom got her stuff together and she was able to, to get her child back and, and to create, you know, go on and create her family. Not every foster kid who come in, comes into your home will be an adoptive placement. Right. Sometimes you're just a safe place for them to be. You're that middle road for their parents to be able, that wake-up call yep. for their parents to be able to get their life back on track. You're listening to Cornania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley filling in for Tom Brown today and we'll be back in just a few minutes. talking about the state of foster care here in Arizona. I've got with me my guest and friend, Chad Roach, who has uh, been fostering and adopting kids through the system for the last four years with his wife, Jill. And we are at the point where I wanted to take a minute and just give a little bit of a, I guess, a gut check to this, (laughs) that Christ did it as he was walking and he was realizing his following was growing, right? 
there kept being more and more people. Who doesn't want to hang out with the guy making the blind sea, regrowing <laughs> limbs, and raising the dead? Like, I want to hang out with this guy. I would leave what I'm doing and go follow him. Uh, it's an incredible thing. And so at one point we see in the scriptures where he just stops, turns around, and I just imagine, you know, I'm gonna, I've got a huge imagination. I just imagine just this throng of, of people, a lot of them guys, a lot of them dudes hanging out, following this, this Jesus, this Messiah. And he stops and he, he basically says, you guys need to count the cost of what it's going to mean to follow me, <laughs> right? It's not all puppy dogs and ice cream. It's going <laughs> to get hairy. It's going to get difficult. Uh, and we know time has taught us it got more than difficult. It required the lives of the men and their families and, and, and those who would jump into it. But Jesus says, he says, if you want to be my disciples, count the cost. You know, will you will you eat my flesh? Will you drink my blood? And they're like, what is this guy talking about? I'm out. I'm out. He just went too far for us, too weird for us. And yet the same thing with foster adoptive care. You pulled up a verse from Exodus. I'd, I'd love you for you to read it because it's the same thing. And I, I don't pull this up to scare anybody because I myself and my wife and kids are jumping into this process. But it's that it's that gut check that says this isn't about going in and being the savior for these children. Uh this isn't about going in and ripping them out of their horrible situation and cuddling them in your arms and they just adoringly look at you. It's quite the opposite, actually, uh, at the beginning. <laughs> um, but what, what, what it is and what this verse was for me was this idea of a um, counting the cost. And I love it here. So re- read this verse from Exodus and give us some background on it, Chad. All right. Uh, it's Exodus 22, uh, verse 22. And it says, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. <laughs> you can't, don't tell me the Bible doesn't have even just the slightest bit of a sense of humor and also a very serious warning. And so I, I, I mean, love for, it. Because, for someone who believes in the wrath of God, it's like, right. okay, I'll, I guess I'll take a kid. Yeah, am I supposed to take, I'm not taking a kid now. If I, yeah, right. What if I mess this kid up? Like, and he, he, he prays to God that God's going to kill me. Right. Um, I think it's important, and I bring it up a uh, little tongue-in-cheek, but as a reminder that the Lord takes this so serious. Amen. And as I've said before, if you're just now tuning in, that this isn't about every single family going out and, and fostering children and adopting these kids, but it is about you getting involved with the family that is. It is about you becoming part of a wraparound team. It is about you becoming uncomfortable is what I say. It's the same thing. We talk about tithes in the church. Mm-hmm. and Is it 10%? Is it 20? Well, what about the special gifts they would give? Is it 25? What's the magic? The magic number is the number that hurts. It's the number that causes you to sacrifice your extra uh, out-to-eat lunches or, right. or the family trip this year because God has put something on your, your family's heart. It's, it's the number that causes you to say, Lord, I am more reliant on you than I am my job, my savings account, my finances. That's what it is with this as well, is it's not about, well, what is the least I could do to fulfill James 127? <laughs> what is check, the least I could do? Box. Yeah, I know. And, and as a church, and it's been there since I was a kid and it's still there, is uh, um, the, the kids who are in Africa or Indonesia and, and they're all over the world and we have no problem stroking a check and we put their picture up on our fridge and <laughs> they send us our drawings. But 
all of a sudden uh, it's about taking one into your own home and it's like, wait, you want me to take more than the picture into my home, right? And <laughs> I don't know, maybe we need Sarah McLaughlin to do a song for us here in Arizona to I help mean, us heard. out. It might, yeah, in the arms of an angel. Let's do it. Let's get it going. But what we do need to come to is this understanding of it's more about uh, – it's more than doing the very least you can do on this subject. Yeah. This is the call. This is the call of Christ on our lives is to love well, love these kids well, love uh, especially here in Arizona. Take, let's take this number down. And so my push in our church and my push, my push in our series at LifePoint Church in Santan Valley starting in May 1st is going to be this idea of how does the church move from being the tail of culture to the head of culture. At one time in this country, the church was the head of culture. And they led with righteousness and they led with dignity. That certainly has fallen. And it fell because they stopped leading with righteous and dignity. They started putting their own rules in. The church started to focus more on the rules than it did on loving people and allowing God to be the one who changes their heart, allowing the Holy Spirit. I believe firmly that man believed that if I pressure you enough, if I condemn you enough, convict, (laughs) you know, I'll convict you. Never mind the Holy Spirit. He's not doing a good enough job. And, and a little bit of that happened. And so what we're seeing now with this movement of churches is they're saying, yes, you call for us to live righteous lives, Lord. But how do I do that? What's one of the ways I do that? I get asked all the time as a pastor, what's a practical way to do that? And an answer recently has been, find out how you can go and serve the poor, the widows, and the orphans. You go find out how you can do it. And find out a way that costs you to do it. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. Well, and like, and like you and I have talked about before, when God calls you, it it let's say when you got called into ministry, it it he's going to call some people to be the lead pastor. He's going to call some people to be an elder. He's going to call some people to be the associate pastor. Everybody's going to have their role. Um, we are his hands and feet. We are the body. Well, the eyes have a certain job. The hands have a certain job. The feet have a certain job. Right. You know, not everybody's going to be the brain. You know, and that's and that's understanding the same the same idea around fostering and taking care of these kids um, is that not everybody has to take them in. Not everybody has to take in the most difficult when it comes to behavior, the most difficult when it comes to, to medical needs, um, or ages, or sibling groups, or whatever it is. It, it can be just surrounding yourself, or surrounding rather these these families who do take them in, and just being there for them, um, and and just making that you know it's it's just. It, I think people think it has to be bigger than what it is. That's right. In order, and like, like you were saying, it's, it's that checkbox mentality. Well, how far do I have to go in taking care of orphans and widows until God's happy? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Just Incredible. do it. As long as you draw breath. <laughs> exactly. As long as you draw breath. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. And as we wind down here, one of the things that I wanted to pick your brain on, uh, Chad and I's conversations really started in my garage where we'll sit out in the man cave and uh, we'll enjoy just chatting light, chatting it up with one another. And, I'll pretend and, I know something about baseball. Yeah, you'll pretend and I'll pretend <laughs> I know something about politics and, and we'll get through it. <laughs> Chad's background. But we didn't mention that on this because we love the Lord here Amen. at KPX 1360. <laughs> um, no, but one of the things I wanted to ask you is this, is how are you an advocate to your buddies? Not, not, uh, not on the foster side or not on the... Um, I don't know what I should say, that the religious side. How are you an advocate, though, for this idea of foster care and adoption just in your community? Um, probably just, uh, honestly, just sharing my testimony and and, and what we've gone through and, and um, 
a big piece of my testimony, I, I alluded to it a little bit ago, was um, with our son Joey, and just just saying, you know, here's a kid I didn't want to adopt. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to give him my last name. You know, I didn't I didn't want to do those things. And um, when I was finally when I submitted to it, I just did it. Um, I still wasn't okay with it. It yeah. took it took some more time. Um, and it's been there's been prayer, and there's been you know. Uh, uh, Asking my brothers and you and you know, people to come around me and, and really pray for that. Um, I think it's just 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 letting people know that it's it's when you step out for God. Hold on, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a ride. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be uh, exciting. It's going to be. It can be heartbreaking. It can be you know. But I always just look back to uh, what Christ went through. You know, it's it's it's. Who are we to say that I can't handle a little emotional, uh, uh, uncomfortable, uh, emotional uncomfortability, I guess you could say, um, when here is a man whose flesh was torn from his body, you know, and here's a man who suffocated when he, you know, it's, 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 and I'm going to say I'm a little too uncomfortable and with my emotions to say, you know, so how do I be an advocate? Um, tell other men to man up. And nice. <laughs> just do it. Uh, is it easy? No. Is it? Is it? Do you know everything? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Amen. Amen. As as uh, as my wife and I head down this journey, and I've alluded to it over the last hour, I wanted to take a moment and just share what uh, what Christ does, and that is this: is when I was running, when I was 18 years old, I had the call to go into ministry. And I was freaked out about it. I was freaked out about going to a private school for college and, and how would I pay for it. And then I was freaked out when I saw what pastors make. I mean, that will really freak you out. <laughs> and then uh, I was freaked out about what would that life look like? Would I, am I actually called to it or is this something I just want to do? Because I know I don't want to dive into it if I'm not called to it. And so I didn't. I ran. I went to ASU. I got my degree in that, went into business, wanted to make money, and the Lord pulled me out seven years later. And brought me into ministry. And what I sense in my life is this, and whether we're talking about foster care or we're talking about um, loving your own children or loving your spouse, is God equips you for what he calls you to do mm. if you trust him to do it. Amen. As we look throughout scripture, every time God performs a miracle, there is a faith on behalf of the person crying out for it. There is a call. There is blind Bartimaeus crying out, son of David, heal me. And so there has to come a point when you release your will, you release your mammon mm -hmm. in your life to him, and you say, Lord, take it. Take my perfect two kids, one wife, four, you know, four-person <laughs> family. I mean, Disney doesn't give away tickets for a family of seven or eight. They give away family no. four-packs, right? Cars are made for four people. Hotel rooms are made for four people. And you just quickly begin to realize that our culture is built around this unit of uh, two adults and two kids. Yep. And as soon as you add to that, as soon as you get over that number, it becomes, everything becomes different and everything becomes new territory. You're telling me. Yeah. And you're, you're <laughs> at a place now, you drive a beam, uh, you drive a big giant wagon and uh, it fits how many? 10, 12? 12. 12 of you in there. And so that's what But hey, it turns heads. I keep telling my wife we're going to put like 22s on it and, and some exhaust. And, some spinners. <laughs> yeah, there you go, man. Nice. Uh, and so, yeah. What's funny is, you, I just wanted to say this, that we, we, We've gone from as high as 10 kids to, you know, as low as our three, our biological three. Um, and it's funny, once you get to 10, now that we only have seven, it's like, 
this is it. There's only seven. <laughs> we only have seven. <laughs> well, you've been listening to Cornania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley filling in for Tom Brown, and we'll be right back. Back to Cornania on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Nathan Bentley, lead pastor at Life Point Church in Santan Valley, filling in for Tom Brown today. And I've had with me a guest and friend, Chad Roach. And when I was given the opportunity to have this hour to speak on Cornania, and I, I went before the Lord, it was clear that I wanted to be a voice for the, the children in foster care here in this state. And the Lord has made it perhaps a platform. I'm not certain yet if it'll be a lifelong platform as far as speaking. It certainly is going to be for my wife and I in our lives mm-hmm. as we're uh, adopting children out of the foster system. But I wanted to have a voice. I wanted to be able to reach out to my brothers and sisters in the in the Christian community, the faith-based community, and tell them, uh, let's step up. Let's step up. What, what mm-hmm. if this time, in, uh, uh, let's give it two years, what if this time in 2018 we could look and say the number was down under 10,000. And the reason is because the Christian community stepped up. We weren't weren't looking to our neighbor to do something. We weren't looking to the government to put in more more aid. But what if the church stepped up in this? I believe firmly uh, that that would begin to move the church from the tail to the head of culture. What if it wasn't just Arizona? What if across this great country of ours we began to see the church rise up and the foster prob- the foster uh, situation in every state stopped being one of the state's biggest resources. And they looked around and said, how did this happen? Uh, I believe it was the church. And so um, I want to thank you for taking your time, Chad. Thank you yeah, my pleasure. for being here and uh, lending your expertise. You've <laughs> been a, you and your wife have been a wealth of wisdom to myself and my wife as we've entered into this process. And uh, our goal is that we would move forward, that we would see a massive drop in the kids sitting in hallways in the foster buildings Amen. and that they would find homes and loving moms, dads, brothers, and sisters to be a part of. So thanks again for listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I've had a great time guest hosting today for Tom Brown. If you want to reach me, you can text me at 480-543-0607 or visit us at lifepointpeople.com. God bless and have a wonderful afternoon.